Welcome to another episode of the Area 51 Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Warren. You could follow along in the conversation with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. In affiliation with Overtime Heroics and Big Heads Media, we want to create a platform for you, the fans, the aspiring creators, creators, and Canucks community members alike to share your thoughts and ideas. Without further ado, welcome back to Area 51. Welcome back to another episode of the Area 51 Hockey Podcast. Uh, great show for you this week, uh, joined by two guests, uh, both from the Connect Speakeasy Podcast. We have Pete Gass, who now is in Costa Rica, which I'm very jealous of, uh, as well as Doug Venn, his partner there. Uh, great interviews later on in the podcast, so I'll keep this segment fairly short. Just want to touch on some of the things that are happening in uh, this week of Canucks as we lead into the All-Star break. So uh, the Canucks right now uh, capped off a pair of wins at home uh, to be able to beat divisional rivals, the Arizona Coyotes, and the San Jose Sharks that have struggled mightily this year, uh, catapulting them then to first in the Pacific Division, which... Honestly, at the start of the season, I did not have them pegged as a team that would be competing this late in the year for that spot, uh, but very exciting that they've been able to hold that so far. We'll talk as well to uh, to Doug about how sustainable that is and whether we think that they are able to hold that spot for the remainder of the season as a lot of the remaining schedule is against Western Conference foes. Uh, they're mostly done the the Eastern Conference swing, uh, so it'll be interesting to see as the tight Western Conference continues to tighten up and teams are starting to vie for their spots, whether the Canucks are going to be able to squeeze in or whether they'll be stuck just outside. Either way, it's going to be an exciting finish for the Canucks. Uh, a lot to look forward to there. Uh, last week I left you guys with a trivia question. Last week's question was. Who stood in at the All-Star game for Richard Brodeur as he was unable to make it to the game? There was a replacement. Who was that? It was none other than John Garrett, uh, Canucks backup at the time. Uh, and now, of course, our beloved color commentator, uh, John Garrett, was able to go to, I believe it was the 1983 All-Star game. Uh, this week's trivia, I want to throw out a question here. February 6th, 1998, there was a massive trade for the Vancouver Canucks. They traded Trevor Linden to the New York Islanders. Who came back in return? What was the return for Trevor Linden back in 1998 in that Islanders trade? So I'll leave you with that one for next week. Obviously, for this week, there is no games as we look forward to the All-Star Weekend. Uh, Canucks have a number of players, or Vancouver has a number of players going. Uh, we have Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes, who won the, the fan vote, uh, Jacob Markstrom, and Megan Agosta, who are joining. Megan is, of course, uh, a member of the Vancouver Police Department, who uh, is a decorated uh, female uh, hockey player uh, for Team Canada. It's going to be exciting to see that new addition to the all-star game festivities the elite women's three-on-three tournament honestly i think that's the part that i'm the most excited for uh the women's game does not get nearly 
the as much attention as it should and as it deserves and it's nice to see so many people be more vocal about that and to speak up in in support of it and i honestly think that the fact that nhl is getting more and more involved in women's hockey is a very good thing and maybe leading us up to uh, them testing the market out uh, for potentially starting a league of their own i know that's something that elliot friedman had alluded to uh, quite a while ago is that there is potential and kind of these preliminary plans to do say an original six kind of setup for women's hockey and start the league out at that at that level there giving these women a much better platform much better league one that they deserve and giving us all an opportunity to watch their game as well uh, a lot better because it's not enough just to watch them in the Olympics. It's it's such an incredible uh, game to watch. So much skill, so much speed. Um, and it's a surprisingly physical game as well to watch. Uh, they're a blast to watch, and I'm very excited that they're going to be adding that. As three-on-three is exciting to watch as it is, let alone with the rivals of uh, Team Canada and Team USA going against each other. Uh, last week, there was four games on the Canucks schedule. Uh, they won three of such. Uh, their only loss came to the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, we touch on that a little bit later with Pete Gass. Uh, the Canucks being blanked in that game, 4 nothing. Aside from that, some major wins for the Canucks, and that's in large part why they are where they are in the standings. Uh, I did a Canucks three stars of the week this week. Uh, our first star is one that has frequented the top three lately as his line has been absolutely dominant. Uh, one that I wrote about as well uh, with Louis Erickson and his contributions to that line. Bo Horvat is this week's first star. Uh, he finished the week with three goals and an assist in, in three contests ultimately as nobody had any points in the Winnipeg game. Uh, so aside from that one game, some some great showing from from the Canucks captain. Uh, the second star of the week uh, is JT Miller with a goal and three assists. Uh, him and the new newly formed top line is no longer the lotto line anymore for now as Brock Besser slides down the lineup to uh, balance the scoring out on the third line and Jake Vertanen jumps into that top line role uh, and that those lines continue to roll, which is very exciting for the Canucks as it gives them a much more balanced attack and one that now is harder to defend and match up against as, as an opposition team. Uh, third star is the previously mentioned Jake Vertanen. Uh, he's finished off the week with one goal and two assists, a couple beautiful assists in, in the most recent game against the Sharks. I thought Jake Vertanen was was one of the highlights of the game uh, against the Sharks and and what ultimately I thought was one of their most well-rounded efforts. Uh, I thought that the Sharks were just completely outclassed and outmanned in every uh, zone and that the Canucks just hemmed them in for long and large periods. It would have been a very exhausting game for the San Jose Sharks. And I think Eric Carlson in his interview uh, in the intermission said it best that there's just not much to like right now about the Sharks game um, and that they just weren't weren't there. They didn't seem to show up to that game, which worked out very well for the Canucks as they were able to uh, continue to stay in the hunt for the playoff spot in the Pacific. Uh, some big news on, on my part here. I was able to put out an article with my very first player interview in it uh, so I wanted to give out a special thank you to uh, Prince George's own Michael Garteg. Uh, he right now is playing for Tapera, Finland. And I apologize if I absolutely butchered that name. Uh, not great with the Finnish names. Uh, but Michael Garteg, of course, was formerly in the Canucks system. Uh, Quinnipiac alumni uh, who then signed a deal with his, his childhood team, the Canucks. Uh, before then going into the Toronto Maple Leafs farm system and winning a championship with the Newfoundland Growlers, uh, and then now is uh, taking his journey over to Europe. I wish him the best over there and, and thank him again for the contributions that he made uh, in that article. 
That article specifically was more about Jake Kiley and the fifth goaltending role in Vancouver and how the ECHL is being used as a developmental program, uh, something that not just the Canucks can improve upon, but but the NHL as a whole can start utilizing that three-tier developmental program that they have right now to a much better degree. And there are a few teams that are starting to trend towards that, uh, Toronto being one of them, uh, Pittsburgh as well. And I kind of uh, dissect how those programs have been utilizing that and how the Canucks can then better uh, that program for prospects like Jake Kiley that have had such strong numbers in the NCAA and have had uh, their struggles going into the ECHL because the, the programs aren't there and the programs are are ultimately pretty weak, especially in Kalamazoo. There's just not a whole lot of support there uh, as that team has been kind of feeding on the bottom of the ECHL for a number of years now. So how the Canucks can beef that up and, and advance that program. Uh, so I w- I'll cut it short here. I, I don't want to go too far into everything as we have such great interviews later on here. Uh, without further ado, I'll introduce uh, the guest segment here with Pete Gass and Doug Venn. Thanks for listening. This is Pete Edwards, this is Doug Venn, and welcome to the Area 51 podcast. Welcome back everybody to Area 51. Uh, We've got couple special guests from the Canucks Speak Easy podcast. Our first one is going to be with Pete Gass. Pete, how's it going today? It's good, man. Just trying to stay warm downtown here. How about you? <laughs> about the same. Yeah, it's uh, pretty much buried up here in Kamloops. And uh, I just see constant clips online of what Vancouver is like right now. People oh. driving around, not even clearing their windshield. What's going on there? Oh, yeah, man. Well, Vancouver, Vancouver drivers are crazy, but the snow just, it makes it next level wacky. Yeah, it's. I saw Tej posted a video of some people driving around with a snow-covered windscreen, and I was like, yeah, well, that's not too dissimilar from what I've seen so far. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's pretty atrocious. I know, like, everybody in BC seems to be getting hit with pretty bad weather right now, but Vancouver just seems so beyond unprepared oh yeah that uh it just compounds the issue big time for you guys oh yeah uh kind of speaking on things compounding for the canucks uh they had a rough game against winnipeg uh for everybody that's listening we are recording pete's segment early it's wednesday night uh so we haven't seen the results yet uh of arizona and san jose later on in the week uh but the Canucks blanked by Winnipeg, constant bad luck in Winnipeg, and that issue at Bell MTS Arena just seems to continue to compound for some reason. Yeah, it's one Is of those cursed. Th- it's one of those cursed buildings, that's for sure. Yeah, I was just going to ask, like, if there was anything that you noticed, like, why they seem to struggle with with Winnipeg, uh, and there's a few other teams too that they struggle in that building in particular, but. Do you think it's just kind of like a comfortability in that building or just Winnipeg has their number? I always look at things like this. I think, what are we winless in 11 or something like that? And in, Mm -hmm. in a way that's a useful stat in a way, it's also kind of useless because that stat goes back now for four or five years and teams from four or five years ago that has no relevance on the current team. I thought the team actually came out strong, outchanced Winnipeg. Uh, they faced a hot goalie, which just happens. One of those games, you know, New Jersey's another team that has that against the Canucks all the time. And they just couldn't get 
one of those early ones and they were playing from behind uh, again, you know, allowing an early goal on the road. But I actually thought they played an okay game. They just couldn't get any bounces. They couldn't get any finishing. Um, and it's, it is a cursed building. I don't know if it's in their heads because I don't think a lot of these guys have been around. I mean, I think that's Quinn Hughes's first trip ever to that building. So I don't think he yeah. is spooked by it at all. It's just one of those weird stats. And uh, I did think, like I said, I did think the Canucks brought it for the game. They just couldn't get anything to go their way. Well, and it's true. They, they threw a lot of pucks on net. Uh, they ran into Connor Hellebuck, who was fantastic, uh, and a lot of goalposts. I know my dad texted me after the game and and told me that they were, they looked like postmen out there because they were hitting so many bars. Yeah, PD uh, PD had that one shift in the first period where he he missed the net and then on the same shift hit the inside of the crossbar, and you yeah. just see him look into the sky and it's just just things like that, right? You know, hockey's a game of inches. It was a it was a weird road trip overall. Um, I'm glad it's over, but you know, we went two and three and we're still in the playoff uh, spot at the moment. Well, and that's the nice thing right now. The Canucks are sitting, uh, pretty in the playoff picture right now. They got a game in hand on the two teams ahead of them. Uh, so kind of looking forward into the future. I know you and I talked a little bit before we started recording about the trade deadline that's coming up, uh, the expansion draft that's coming in the future, of course, but is there any players i know you you were saying that you went down the rabbit hole a little bit for the trade deadline is there mm-hmm. any player in particular that it kind of jumps off the page for you as a potential for a trade deadline target for the canucks well i want to say there is but i'm the more i kind of look at it i the more i'm not so sure if it's something the canucks really need to be doing right now is going mm-hmm. after uh, another top 6 forward or top 9 forward this year it would cost picks it would cost prospects you could maybe move another contract out of town if you're lucky maybe having a guy like Berchi going the other way is part of a deal but I don't think that this year with the current situation with the Canucks and all their free agents I mean half the roster pretty much is either a RFA or UFA at the end of the season and Mm -hmm. I don't know if you necessarily need to give up assets when your window is literally just beginning to open right now. This isn't the year where you need to make a run. I know some people will argue that, well, you have to weaponize the entry-level deals for PD and Hughes, and I understand that, but this team is going to be much more set up next year to actually go out and acquire some pieces. Um, If there was a couple guys, um, one guy that Doug and I have talked a lot about, I believe he's a little bit outside the Canucks price range right now, unless they can move some uh, salary back, is Kyle Palmieri in New Jersey. Mm -hmm. Um, Always liked him. I believe he's just got the All-Star Game invite, so that also jumps his price tag up. But he's got one more year. He's $4.6 so the Canucks would have to move salary to get him but that's a guy I've always liked um, his teammate Nikita Gusev is another interesting option over there um, again though he's pretty much an identical contract to Kyle Palmieri uh, one year younger and uh, either way you'd have to find some way to move salary um, Andre Kosh in Anaheim was another guy who kind of jumped out at me but after that you know the Canucks got is it luck with Tanner Pearson? I mean, Pearson was was great in L.A. when he was on the 70s line. Uh, J.T. Miller has been great everywhere. I've long been a J.T. Miller fan with fantasy hockey. Uh, and I, I don't necessarily know. I, I, it, I'd be interested in seeing what options are out there, but I'm also completely fine with the Canucks standing pat and not doing anything up front. One thing that I would like to see them consider starting to do moving forward leading up to Seattle, though, is their defenseman spots are pretty wide open. And I think Mm -hmm. with uh, three of the seven defensemen that are with the team being free agents at the end of the year, I think that's going to be another intriguing piece of the puzzle. Yeah, you bring up a lot of really good points. So there's a a few players. I know uh, I guessed on your podcast earlier in the season, we talked a little bit about Paul Mary back then as well. And I do really like the idea and the fit that he could potentially bring. I think he's a really good playoff style player. You know how there's specific players that seem to thrive only in the regular season. They're very, they play a very skill-heavy game, but they don't play a heavy game. Uh, I think Paul Mary brings that element. 
Um, I think too, like some of the players that you identified, I was kind of thinking about the teams that they were coming from. Uh, Anaheim, New Jersey were kind of the main, yeah. the main ones there. Uh, I think both are pretty reasonable trade partners for the Canucks. Uh, but like you said, you know, it's kind of a tricky year. Um, the Canucks shouldn't be all in on this season, and I don't think they are coming into it thinking like that. I know before Jim Benning's extension, kind of around training camp there, everybody was thinking this is a do-or-die season for him, right? Mm-hmm. But now with that extension done, I don't really see that urgency anymore. I mean, the first-round pick that they gave up in the JT Miller trade has a condition on it. So if they don't make the playoffs, they get to pick in the first round. It's a deep draft. Everybody's fine. Uh, they still take a step forward. If they do make the playoffs, great. It ends up being this year's. They get next year's first guaranteed back, and they can kind of look at the off season where you could target uh, some big names because you've got the cap room now since so many people are coming off the book. Uh, so you bring up quite a few different points there that I like. Uh, kind of spinning off a little bit on the expansion draft. I know we, uh, we talked about that a little bit as well. Uh, you, you mentioned something that I think a lot of people in Vancouver need to hear, and I, myself included, because I do feel that there's a goaltending issue impending for the Canucks. But you don't believe that Thatcher Demko would potentially be picked in the, the expansion draft. Do you want to kind of touch on that? Well, I, I don't think it's a given that Demko gets taken. I think Vancouver has this idea that he will just be left there and he's going to be the first guy that Seattle grabs. And I'm not I'm mm-hmm. not convinced of that. I do think that Vancouver at the moment, they're not going to lose a defenseman to Seattle. They're, they're pretty well set in terms of protection and who is available. Because Quinn Hughes doesn't need to even use a spot. And then you have right now, you don't know what's happening with Tanev, he's UFA, and Fantenberg's UFA, and Stetcher's RFA, and people aren't sure what's what the process with him is. So right now, it's really just, I think, Tyler Myers is your only guy you're really having to protect out there, and there's an option where you can expose him too. So defense are good. Forwards is where it gets a little tricky. If the Canucks decide that they want to keep Tanner Pearson after he becomes a free agent next year, which I think a lot of us are hoping that they will at the moment with the way he's playing, that's going to make the forward spots a little bit tricky. And then a guy, even if you sign Pearson, maybe you keep him exposed. Or if you decide you what with what's going on, a guy like Cole Lind is going to need protection too. So there's also yeah. that. So it's it's I think a lot of it, first of all, I just like to say is prefaced by what happens with the Canucks forwards and who they're going to leave available out there. But when you're actually looking at the goalie situations, there are quite a few teams with really interesting goalie options that are going to be on the table. I think right now you're looking at a guy like Jonathan Quick or Matt Murray going to Seattle and being a starter. I don't think they're both going to go, but I think one of those two, and depending on what way Seattle goes, that's their starting goalie. But after that, there's there's still some really interesting options. Braden Holtby situation in Washington is a really interesting one uh, as well mm-hmm. with what happens with him um, and what they want to do moving forward. But some of the other goalies I mentioned that, that look really interesting, Alexander Georgiev in uh, New York, he's a 23-year-old. Yeah. So he's, uh, he's actually younger than Thatcher Demko. He's played more games than Demko this year. He has a better save percentage, a better goals against, more shutouts. He's a guy that you look kind of statistically right now, If and with an objective mind, you look at those two, you've got to say, well, if you want the young goalie, Georgiev might be the guy. And then if you're looking at kind of a third guy, someone who could maybe go up and down, clear waivers, there, there's guys like Aaron Dell and James Reimer and Jake Allen who could kind of fill into that. And there's also guys like Antti Ranta, because Darcy mm-hmm. Kemper is most likely going to get protected in Arizona. And there's also the Mackenzie Blackwood situation over in Jersey with uh, with Corey Schneider on the books there. They got to figure out what to do with that too. So and oh, and UC Saros as well in Nashville. He was another guy. That's so, true. So just with all these goalies there, it's not a clear cut given. A lot of it is not just the talent of the player, but who else you're exposing, and then also how you want to build your team. And generally, the way I would 
kind of see this getting done if I was in charge of an expansion team, which nobody's asked me to be, unfortunately, is I would start <laughs> with the goalies and then I'd work yeah. the way out from there. But there is an element with the goalies where you can kind of have, okay, let's say we're going with Matt Murray as our starter right now. That is set in stone. We don't really think there's anyone else on Pittsburgh that's worth taking. Matt Murray, done, locked in. Then that probably knocks Jonathan Quick off the books. Uh, they say, all right, well, yeah, we're exactly. not going to look at Jonathan Quick. Unless LA's talent pool is so depleted as well for the expansion draft. They're like, you know what? We're going with Murray and Quick. And then what do you do for a third goalie? I don't think you're going to necessarily, I don't want to say waste a pick, but you're going to use a pick on a guy like Thatcher Demko or a Georgiev. And no, you'd then have to target a guy maybe like Malcolm Subban or uh, some, like, a, yeah, one of those guys you were mentioning that that is kind of up and down like an Aaron mm. Dell Aaron Dell exactly or, or, or James yeah. Reimer a guy that you can put on mm-hmm. waivers or Jake Allen and the guy that you can and you can bury you can put him down into your farm system and you can call him up and if he gets taken on waivers well you know that's that's the game of it right there but I, I think there's just a lot of factors into that I uh, Thatcher Demko right now he's got a 903 save percentage and a 320 goals against which isn't the most amazing and I'm not I'm not trying to, you know, poop on Thatcher Demko here. I really like Thatcher Demko. Um, but I think the more pressing situation with Vancouver is what do you do with, with the goalies this offseason? I think you have to re-sign Markstrom. And I wouldn't be surprised if by doing that, uh, the Demko camp, if he is exposed next year and doesn't get taken, I wouldn't be surprised if the Canucks uh, ship him out of town after that. Because he's not going to want to be a backup for five years to Jacob Markstrom. Well, and that's the other half of the coin, right? Like, as much as Canuck fans don't want to lose a goaltender of the caliber that we have, either in Markstrom or in Demko for free, both those guys aren't going to want to coexist for a very long time. And I, I don't know if that's uh, the Canuck fan skepticism that we have have because we've seen so many goaltending tr- controversies here in Vancouver, or if that's just reality that a guy like Thatcher Demko is going to be kind of going through some kind of unrest with wanting to to reach his potential, obviously, as a starting goaltender. And five years down the road, when, I mean, we could be looking at the end of a Jacob Markstrom contract extension, we're going to be looking at like a 29-year-old Thatcher Demko. He's not going to be very happy being a backup or having to claw his way to a number one role over that kind of period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, I could see him like in a couple years really earning that number one, but this is Jacob Markstrom's cash in year, right? Like he's not, he's playing so strong. He's got a couple years under his belt of really strong play, lots of games played. He's going to go for the big contract because of his age. And that's just a given. Yeah. And it- he deserves it. He totally deserves it. And, I mean, he's going to get a bump. He's at 3.6 this year. I, I kind of think he'll be around the five and a half by five years. But this is a really interesting yeah. test for the Canucks right now and for their management team because what do you, is Thatcher Demko an asset that you could flip into something that you need? And there is that possibility right. leading into the draft as well. If the Canucks have defenseman spots available, maybe later in the year next year, maybe Mikey DiPietro can, is continuing to play well, his lights out, and is ready to get a call up. Or maybe there's someone else that comes into the, the, the program for the Canucks at, at some point. But if you can then flip a guy like Demko for maybe a, a defenseman that has a good contract that you want to keep around for a couple of years and protect in the expansion draft – that's proper asset management right there. And that's mm-hmm. what I am kind of leaning towards right now is keeping an eye on the Demco thing, see how he plays, but don't rule out the option of swip, uh, flipping him out for a younger defenseman as you get closer to Seattle. And it doesn't even need to be next season. It could be at the end of next season before the roster freeze yeah. goes in. You can, you can do that. And there may be other teams who aren't happy with their goalies, but have a surplus of defensemen. It's kind of too early to say right now who those teams would be, but it could even be just a a flip. Maybe you don't even get a guy that you Canucks fans feel is a good return for Demko. But if you think, Hey, we're staring at losing him. If the reality is looking there, 
we're going to get nothing for him or we could get a serviceable defenseman for him I, that we then are able to protect. I think that's something to look at. But there's a lot of different ways this can this can go here. It's just we're now past the halfway mark. And Demko's played well. His value has maybe gone up a bit, but I think we have a bit of an overinflation of what Thatcher Demko's true value is when you look at the rest of the goalies out there that are going to be available. Well, I'm like listening to you go through the names and and like realistically one of those guys has to go right like for example with Arizona you have Kemper and Ranta you can't protect both one of them is going to be available and they have arguably the best tandem in the league right now so like if anybody should be really really nervous about losing one of their stud goaltenders it's probably the Coyotes right now uh, and there's other teams like that as well, whether it be the Matt Murrays in, pa- in Pittsburgh or the Georgievs in, in uh, New York, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I would pick a lot of those goaltenders over, over Demko, not to diss Demko at all, because I'm, I've been up to this point pretty blinders on, like Demko's the guy in the future, like Markstrom's great for now, but he is an aging goaltender. Who knows how long his prime is going to last? I've been in firmly in that camp for a lot of this season, but kind of looking at a lot of the names that you're dropping, I'm, I'm kind of I can't help but reconsider uh, based off that because I think honestly at the end of the day the best case scenario for the Canucks is that uh, Seattle takes probably a defenseman uh, since we have so much depth there, or uh, like a forward wouldn't hurt, but I think with the Canucks consistently trying to find more offensive weapons up front, uh, specifically to play with Bo Horvat, it would it'd be really rough for the Canucks to find that piece and then not be able to protect them and then lose them right after they finally acquire this elusive winger for Bo Horvat. And so I think that would probably be the worst case scenario, actually, is losing like a top six forward. Well, realistically, if the Canucks, which I'm sure they will, re-sign Jake Furtanen and Adam Gaudet in this offseason, you combine that with the big four forwards right now, that's six of your seven spots right there. So that's true. What do you know? What do you do now? The other thing is, I believe on right now that Louis Erickson's no trade clause would mean that they have to protect him but i need to get a dive into that a little bit more but i believe that you may have to use a spot on erickson well his no trade clause would be uh, unprotected but if it was a no move clause then he would have to be protected the other way around yeah and i know with uh like with edler's contract and with meyer's contract they both structured them so that they're no move clauses but at the time of the expansion they switched to no trade clause so that they can be exposed so that that was pretty keen planning yeah so you know erickson's going to be exposed in the expansion draft i mean i I can't see him getting taken unless seattle's trying to get to the floor he'd only have one year left at six million dollars but they'd actually pay him one and a half million dollars so he could be i mean this is just uh, throwing it out there but if they're trying to go with a lower spending approach which i don't know why they necessarily would you could take a guy with well with one year left at six million and only pay him one and a half and that, that helps you well and i think like kind of briefly touching on louis here i think he becomes more and more tradable as time goes on just because of that like there's i mean as long as you're in a league with a guy like eugene melnick somebody is going to be looking for a buy low option that you get credited a lot more towards your cap so you don't actually have to spend the entirety of the cap floor to be at the cap floor and Eugene Melnick is famous for being one of those guys and like Louis has become a pretty serviceable middle to bottom six player uh, let's say like he's been more in a penalty killing role he can kind of he's been playing well with Bo Horvat so as much as I would say he's pretty much strictly a bottom six guy, he has shown production with Bo Horvat. So it could be able to pique some some GM's uh, interest at some point in the summer here or in the off season. But for right now, I mean, we just don't really know what that might look like. But mm-hmm. thanks for stopping by, Pete. I'm, this has been an awesome conversation. I feel like I could talk to you for <laughs> hours about this because... 
I love talking expansion draft. I love talking trade deadline. Uh, just kind of the whole idea of building teams and the philosophy behind roster construction. I love that stuff. So yeah, yeah, me too. Uh, it goes it goes right into like uh, the EA Sports armchair GMing days, right? It's like, oh, I made these moves. Why can't these NHL exactly. teams made it? I mean, I, I got Wayne Gretzky playing on the wing. Like, what, what's going on? Yeah, it's easy to build a dynasty. I yeah, exactly. Ten cups in a row. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> what are these guys doing? <laughs> yeah, no, that, I love that stuff. So. I really appreciate you coming on. Uh, for anybody that hasn't listened to the Canuck Speakeasy podcast already, I strongly encourage you to do so. Uh, their last episode, and I mean, I'm sure by the time this actually drops on Monday morning, you'll have a new episode out. Uh, but the most recent at this point in time has uh, Jabo on it. Uh, Brendan, correct? Yep, yep. Brendan from the yeah. uh, Jabo podcast uh, on Twitter, Jabo underscore Vancouver. Yeah, awesome podcast. Uh, you guys dig into some pretty similar topics that we touched on today, which uh, I love being able to bring that over here and, and be involved in that and share that with our listeners here. Uh, you can follow them on Twitter at, at CanuckSpeak. Uh, again, this is Pete Gass, and then we'll, we'll touch on uh, pretty briefly here uh, the interview with his partner, Doug Venn. Thanks again for joining us here, Pete. Cheers. Thanks a lot, Sean. Appreciate it. Welcome back, everybody, to the Area 51 Hockey Podcast. I'm very excited to have uh, the second part of our interview segment with the second half of the duo from the Canuck Speakeasy Podcast. We have Doug Van with us. Doug, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing good, Sean. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you uh, inviting me on to the Area 51 Podcast, the rebrand, if you will. Yeah, yeah. No, it's exciting. Still kind of experimenting with how I want everything to to look and feel at the end of the day. So each episode right now is kind of going under little tweaks and uh, different cuts and edits uh, at this point. But wanted to have you guys on. You guys have had a great podcast for a number of months now. Uh, you and you and Pete have such great chemistry. Uh, right now, Pete's in in Costa Rica, so. We had to do his segment a little bit earlier than yours, but that actually gives uh, your interview a little bit more material to work with than uh, we had with Pete's because the Canucks are on a two-game winning streak going into the All-Star break, and they're sitting atop the Pacific Division. Did you have any idea that the Canucks were going to be at this stage sitting atop the Pacific Division? Uh, No, I did not, Sean, Uh, but... You got this year. The Western Conference as a whole has just been unbelievable as far as like the teams and how close everyone is in proximity. I think it was last week I had looked at the. I I haven't looked lately, but last week I was looking at the standings. And I believe there was eight teams that were separated by three points. Um, yeah. So you, you every game is important, and you know, like if if a team ends up having. A slow, uh, a slow end to the season that could pretty much cost them a spot in the playoffs. So the Canucks are looking good. A huge win against Arizona, and obviously San Jose has probably been one of the bigger disappointments in the entire league this year. Uh, it was really mm-hmm. nice to see. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too that you talk about the standings right now. There's four teams in the Pacific Division, right behind the Canucks, separated by one point. So there's the Canucks, and then four teams tied for ultimately second in the division so the Canucks if they would have lost the game against San Jose they would have actually been fifth in the division and about 19th in the league right now they're ninth in the league and first in the division because of that one win so just shows how tight not only the west is but specifically the pacific division so as we continue on going into the trade deadline uh, I talked a little bit with Pete about Uh, what that could potentially mean for the Canucks, uh, either now in the trade deadline and in the expansion draft. I know that's a rabbit hole that you guys have gone down. Uh, But we'll kind of move on from that one since we've covered it. Uh, With the Canucks going into uh, the rest of the season here, how likely do you think that it is that uh, they continue on this pace that they're on? Right now they've got eight games uh, that they've won in a row at home. 
Uh, they've kind of asserted home ice domination right now. Uh, it's a little bit of work needed on the road. Uh, thankfully, they don't have to face Florida anymore. Uh, <laughs> no more visits to Florida. Um, but it kind of here on for the rest of the, the, the schedule, they have to face a lot of uh, their own Pacific divisional rivals. And that could uh, have a lot of say into what happens for the rest of the season and how the standings ultimately pan out. How do you like the odds that Vancouver ends up holding those spots? Yeah, I, I, I think a lot of people always talk about roster construction and say, oh, this team isn't properly, you know, constructed. I think they are. If you look at, you know, especially the forwards, 1 through 12, they're pretty solid up and down the lineup. Obviously, the way and the disparity that some of the money's been handed out to some of the bottom six guys is obviously debatable for sure. I think the big mm -hmm. thing with the Canucks, they just have to stay healthy. They're getting the goaltending. They've been relatively healthy, which hasn't been a strong suit for this team the last couple of years. And even the last couple of games, I didn't get to watch much of the, the San Jose game last night. But you're seeing, I was at the Arizona game, uh, I believe it was Thursday, wasn't it? Yeah, Thursday. You're yeah. seeing the impact a guy like Brendan Sutter's having on that team. I thought the fourth line uh, during that Arizona game was one of the better lines of that entire game. They were noticeable almost every shift. Obviously, uh, they had a goal called back with that offside call. And I think if the Canucks can stay healthy, they are a competitive team. I know you mentioned the Florida road trip where they you know, got both, both games against Tampa and the Panthers there. They were kind of blowing up. But overall, they've been in every game and they've been competitive pretty much all season. So I think if they can stay healthy, obviously this next you know, month and a half, they're going to be playing a lot of divisional and Western Conference opponents, and they're going to have to get as many points as they can get. I have a question for you, Sean. Do you think they yeah. should give an extra point for winning in overtime or should, for, for wins in general? Should you get three points for a win and only one point if you lose in overtime or a shootout? So kind of like a, a three points if you win in regulation two in overtime and one if you lose in overtime no three kind of set up three points for a win regardless regardless and then like a one loser point still exactly i just think it would give more of a i mean teams it would you would kind of be able to filter out some of these teams that are just hanging on by a thread and look parody is good for the league obviously i'm sure gary bettman and you know all the NHL associates in New York want the league to be as competitive as possible, but you know, you're not really seeing anybody get ahead of anybody. You know, I, I believe there was a tweet, I think you liked it, and it was uh, someone who said that when mm -hmm. uh, Toronto fired Babcock, they were 10th in the Western yeah. Conference, then they've gone on 17, 6, and 3, and they're still 10th in the Eastern Conference. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable, hey? Like, and it's I don't know if I like the idea of a three-point win, to be honest. I know it's something that a lot of people have tossed around for a while. I personally don't like the loser point. I think it uh, kind of encourages everybody to uh, play pretty lackadaisical in the last minute or so if it's in a tie game, not take any risks, not push the pace, because if you just cling on for a little bit longer, you each get the loser point, and then you go for it. Um, I do like the idea of just kind of always pushing to win the entire 60 minutes of the game. Uh, and then if it does go to overtime, it goes to overtime. And there's going to be even more of a mad scramble in overtime uh, if you're not going to get any points if you lose. So uh, with that, I would also take away the shootout, which is a big take because I just simply don't think that uh, losing an entire point based off of a one-on-one -on -one situation is logical in a team game like like hockey um what are your thoughts on on that no i, I agree with you i i don't think i'm for having uh, every win count for three points either but i do think mm -hmm. you know you're getting to a point now where and maybe this is good for the league so again you know i, I you know i'm kind of on the fence here <laughs> but yeah i don't think it's you know you essentially you're gonna have games come down to the you know the, or teams come down to the last game of the season where four or five teams are going to either be in the playoffs or not because of the how they finish the last game of the season. I guess that is good for the league and that is probably good for the sport. Uh, the shootout mm -hmm. obviously it's entertaining. I'm with you though. It's just like I, I I would rather them get rid of the loser point as a whole 
because I do think yeah. it kind of rewards teams and you know you're you're playing not to win then you're just playing to kind of get that point um so well, and then you can ultimately get teams that make the playoffs just because they lost in overtime so many times that they like they'll have less wins than the teams that they beat out to get into the playoffs but because they draw drag it on for more than 60 minutes those losses that they're they're the, making the playoffs and I don't think that's that's the part that hangs me up I think the league obviously wants the parity and so then having every game be so like every point be so meaningful right up until the very end so when you have teams and playoff standings that are changing drastically all the way up to game 82 I think that's ultimately what the NHL wants it it is a kind of a shift in thinking though too because we're used to seeing distinct buyers and sellers at the trade deadline and we're right now like everybody's kind of in it so what do each team do you, right you, like you can't see the Canucks sell now no like that's not going to happen so does that put them in a position to then buy well I don't know right you bring up a great point and that's another thing it's like every team feels like they're in it so no one's going to be a seller right unless there's like a, a team that has a UFA a pending UFA that they know they're not going to be able to re-sign and maybe they try to do like a lateral move and get you know another reasonable player try to do a hockey trade exactly yeah exactly but that's generally you know come trade deadline there's very rare hockey trades that are made it's usually you know the bottom feeders are selling off some of their assets to gain draft picks or to gain another young prospect to look for next season right and obviously the teams that are pushing for that stanley cup run they're trying to add the final piece or two to you know solidify their championship Exactly. Yeah. So I think more and more we're going to see trades earlier than the trade deadline. Uh, trades around the de deadline might be a lot more minor than we're used to seeing. Like we're not going to see the Taylor Hall kind of trades right around the deadline. They'll happen earlier and they'll only happen really between teams that are as bad as New Jersey is really and have no hope of signing a, a pending free agent and they want to get the assets back in return. So it'll be interesting to see kind of how uh, that side of the game continues to shape out because uh, as more and more players are starting to exercise their rights to uh, be free agents and ultimately decide where they play for the rest of their career, and in many cases, since so many of these deals are so long-term, uh, we could potentially see a lot more guys like John Tavares that end up leaving wherever they were drafted and been for a number of years and move on to another a team wherever they might have a, as far as they're concerned a better shot at the cup yeah that's that's a great point i, I think you're going to see more and more big name free agents not be as loyal to the teams that drafted them to me i think the guy that i really think could leave once he becomes ufa is austin matthews in toronto i i agree with that that's one of the ones that kind of stood out for me too i know a lot of people think he's eventually going to be back in arizona and that's kind of a a foregone conclusion for a lot of people but i think if toronto's not able to put all the pieces together and make this core work what would possibly convince austin matthews to stay there by the time his contract's done like if you're him and you're looking at this team as good as it is as deep as it is as skilled as it is and you're not able to get past say boston and not even able to get out of the first round what's making you stay there no, that's exactly right. And they've, they're have they so top-heavy with their salary and their cap construction that you're seeing some glaring holes on the bottom end as far as their defense goes and their third line, backup goalie. I, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you know, well, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but that team really <laughs> misses Nazem Kadri right now. Yeah, I, you can just see the lack of grit that they have. And I know that's kind of a, a part of the game that's, drifted off a little bit it's definitely got trended more towards speed and uh, skill but the playoffs are a different animal yes and like in the playoffs we saw guys like pat maroon make enormous impacts and and then the regular season guys like pat maroon don't make a huge uh impact generally whereas toronto's kind of built to be a, a fantastic regular season team and and one that's a lot of fun to watch but is it a team that wins you a Stanley Cup? I don't know. Yeah, either I do I. So. so it's interesting 
kind of riffing off that, because I know a lot of people compare the Canucks to the Leafs as far as roster construction goes. There's a lot of young, high-talent players. Uh, but the, one of the biggest differences for the Canucks is that they have a lot of these gritty veterans um, that unfortunately are eating up a lot of the cap space, but they're able to kind of provide that that grit game. And I know one player that really surprised me last game was Brandon Sutter providing that grit. I didn't really uh, expect him to be the the shift disturber, as Corey Comets would say. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, but he was right in LeBanc's face. He was in Thornton's face. Like, uh, having those kind of veteran presences, I think that, that, that makes them a much more, uh, a much different animal than, than the Leafs and a lot more playoff, uh, built, I guess. No, I agree with you. And I think that's one thing it is hard for a lot of the current Canucks, you know, for the fans in this market to realize that a lot of these players, like a Jay Beagle, like a Brennan Sutter, I know Furlan's obviously got a concussion and who knows if he'll even play again this year. But these are guys that definitely do help you win come playoff time. Unfortunately, the Canucks just haven't been able to make the playoffs. I don't think they've made the playoffs since Sutter's been on the team. I could be wrong, but mm-hmm. I believe, yeah, because they traded Benino for Sutter. And I believe that was Willie's first or second year on the job. Yeah, and I don't I think so. And it also, you know what it reminds me a lot of? And it was a guy that I know a lot of people loved him. He was a local guy. But when he was first signed in that first year, he was in Vancouver. People were like, you know, why do we give all this money to this guy? He doesn't really seem like he does much. But it's a guy, Willie Mitchell. Willie Mitchell is a perfect example of a guy who you don't really see his true value until the playoffs come. And I think that's a guy mm-hmm. like Sutter. That's a guy like Beagle. Um, I know I brought up Furland. Even you get some unsung heroes come the playoffs. Like you brought up um, Patrick Maroon, who was bouncing it around the league for years yeah. and then finally found a home in St. Louis and went on that miraculous run with the Blues. But, you know, a guy like Tim Schaller or a guy like Tyler Mott, like come playoff time, those are the kind of guys that actually end up standing out because your top tier guys usually get shut down. Well, and I think that's why uh, guys like Furland were signed, right? Like, ultimately, we haven't seen what Furland's been able to bring to this team, and hopefully he can get healthy at some point here for the Canucks, and and he's doing okay. Uh, If he's able to come back by playoff time, that's an enormous boost, and it's almost like picking up a rental player at the deadline at that point. Yeah, that's a good point. And the other guy, too, uh, Canucks fans should not forget about is Josh Levo. He's another guy who was yeah. playing really well. Uh, unfortunately, had that nasty uh, knee injury, but hopefully he'll be ready if the Canucks are still in contention for the playoffs and can join this team, you know, just before the playoffs start. That's that's another big one. One of the things I really like about the Canucks is is their board battle. Um, I, th- I find that they have a lot of players that like to play a very heavy game. Uh, and they love to eat up uh, pucks on the boards, and they're really tough to get out against. Uh, I know you didn't watch a whole lot of the Sharks game, but that it felt like the ice was tilted the entire game. It was, to me, it was probably the most well-rounded game from min- from the first uh, puck drop right to the last buzzer. I found that the Canucks just dominated them on every end of the ice, and it's it's remarkable to see as much as the Sharks have struggled, they still have a lot of talent. Uh, they've got guys like Meyer. They've got Eric Carlson, Brent Burns. Joe Thornton's a lock for the Hall of Fame when he hangs up the skates. And yet, guys like Quinn Hughes were the absolute highlight of the night. Yeah, you see that you bring up the the point about the board battles, and then when you got a guy like Quinn Hughes, who's in the back end, who can help, you know cover for some of your forwards pinching a little earlier than they normally would, because you got a guy back there who can skate. Like, I've never seen a Canucks defenseman do what Quinn Hughes is doing for us. And I, I can't imagine any Canuck fan isn't just ec- ecstatic about having him, you know, in the future of this team. But guys like JT Miller, that can be understated how much he's helped the team. And Bo Horvat's mm-hmm. always been a great guy along the boards. And we're seeing Jake Vertanen finally taking some steps this year and progressing into that first round pick that, you know, the Canucks drafted him in, what was it, 2014, 2013, I believe. Uh, yeah. And even a guy like Pedersen. Patterson is he plays with a bit of an edge and he plays kind of hard. You know what I mean? He plays gritty now. Absolutely. Yeah. 
I love mean PD. I love it. <laughs> Me too, man. <laughs> him throwing, like, he'll feel the guy coming up behind him, and he'll just kind of stiff him. Yeah. Like, that, like, I did not imagine that no. coming into his game last year. Or even he'll like, he'll initiate contact, or, you know, he'll initiate a physical, you know, altercation with a player when he's trying to chase after the puck, where normally you'd see guys, you know, you would think, you know, that are highly skilled, they're trying to avoid physical contact and use their skating and their elite vision to kind of, like, sidestep, you know, the physical contact and take the puck. Petey's not doing that. Well, it makes me really excited for the future. I know I was had a conversation with uh, somebody else on Twitter. I can't remember who it was now. Uh, but we were talking about uh, when do you think we'll see absolute peak Pedersen? And I said probably right around 27, 28, when he phys- like completely physically matures. He's going to be a beast. Like you, you think he's playing with that edge now, and he's, not, he's still not a huge player. But he still has all the skill. He has the shot. He's got all the mechanics down. When he's got even more weight behind that, he's going to be a Nathan McKinnon-esque player. Like, that's going to be fantastic to watch. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he, he's got that edge and that competitive, like, spirit to him where he knows he has to get in the dirty areas. I mean, it's such a cliche, but, you know, he, he has mm-hmm. to go in those dirty areas and he has to be willing to put his body on the line and take a physical, you know, a big hit from time to time. And guys that play on the fringe, they're the ones that they generally, their star shines bright early and then fades late and, or, and fades early. Yeah. Pardon me. And they're also the guys that don't usually have great playoff success. Well, yeah, no, exactly. Because they don't have that, that do anything to win mentality. And I, I, I love that the Canucks have been able to pick up players that have either won already, so have that know-how and that experience to fall back on, or guys like JT Miller who have never missed the playoffs before. Uh, even guys like we were talking about, Pedersen, who has a championship with the SHL, the, uh, Besser, who's gone on and won. Uh, we've got championship-caliber players and players that love to win, and that's their ultimate goal. Uh, one of the topics that uh, we were talking about earlier and we touched on uh, was Jake Vertanen um, being upgraded to the top line, uh, thus dropping Brock Besser down to the third line. Uh, Vertanen's looked great in that spot. He's been producing. Uh, but what do you think the, that Travis Green can do to engage Brock Besser a little bit more in that role? Because he's looked good on the third line as well. Yeah, I don't know what it is. Like, Besser, he's he's been producing points this year. He has. I mean, he's still third, I believe, on the team in points. Him and Miller keep, mm-hmm. you know, juggling back and forth between second and third. But he just doesn't look the same. I don't know what it is. It's like he's taking an extra second to get his shot off. He doesn't look as confident with the puck. Normally, you know, he's he's when he's peak Besser he's very confident he's ready to wire the puck you know in a second and blast it past the goalie I I was looking at a stat I think Pete brought it up uh to me in one of our uh podcasts from a few weeks ago I don't think Besser has a power play goal since November so you can't you can't really you can't judge the results you know we've we've won the last two games uh so Vertanen on the first line is working and I like that but honestly, I would actually look at moving Besser to the second unit power play because I think right mm-hmm. now on the first unit power play, you've got Petey set up on one side and you've got Besser set up on one side, on the other side, for their shots. So they're just standing still waiting for the puck to come to them. So you got two guys just standing still and then you've kind of got you know Horvat who's a bit of a roamer. Miller's usually standing in front of the net and obviously you got uh, Quinn Hughes on the blue line. Um, but I, I would like to see them move Besser down to the second unit power play. I think that might actually spark his uh, production goal-wise on the power play, hopefully. Um, that's what I'd like to see. But you can't argue you can't argue with the results that the Canucks have been getting. And Vertanen, all credit goes to him. As a guy who's been very critical of Vertanen over the years, he's looked good. He's definitely progressing this year. And it's nice to see that he's actually getting rewarded because I know a lot of the Vertanen truthers out there would always argue that this is a guy who's been constantly getting third or fourth line minutes, never had any power play time, and yet he's still popping 12, 15, 16 goals a year. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I remember writing an article. Uh, it was in last summer, I believe, maybe even earlier than that. But I wrote an article comparing him to uh, other power forwards and their career trajectory and when to kind of expect Vertanen to arrive. And I said, age 24, we'll kind of have an idea generally about what Jake Vertanen is. And so far, it looks to be that way. Like Jake Vertanen's really come into his own. He seems to have figured out his role, how to play with that physical edge, but have it be an offensive uh, force instead of just a reckless force. Uh, and also to be responsible defensively. And I think for power forwards, it just takes that little bit of extra time. Uh, you know, whether it's Shane Doan or whether it's Todd Bertuzzi, we've saw that it takes a little bit of time for them to kind of figure out how to play with their bodies, uh, how to maintain that speed, because Jake has so much of it, uh, and to utilize that in a in a more productive way. I think a lot of, one of his biggest problems early on was that it just seemed that his hands weren't quite as fast as his feet, and then his brain was even slower than his hands. <laughs> and now it seems to have kind of all caught up to each other, and we're starting to see this much better version of, of Jake Furtana, a lot more complete of a player. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he is working on his game and the coach is starting to trust him. I remember when uh, the Canucks actually sent Furtana down to Utica, what was it, like three or four years ago, and mm-hmm. Green was the coach down there, and Green played him hard. And you can tell Green and Vertanen have probably got a pretty good relationship. And Green always preaches that the one thing that they always seem to be is honest with their players. So right now, you know, with Besser being, you know, demoted to the third line, I'm sure Green is talking to Besser, trying to tell him, hey, you know what, you need to be better, and these are the things that you need to do. And we're seeing that effect on Vertanen. And you're right. Most power forwards do take a lot, a lot longer to develop into their game than say a sniper or a you know pure skilled guy mm-hmm. like a Patrick Kane or something like that and I don't know of a power forward that can skate as fast as Vertanen does and I think you're right you know he his hands couldn't keep up with his legs and his you know his, his hands <laughs> and his or his, and his brain couldn't keep up with either for a while there and he seems to be the other thing I've noticed he, he's getting his shot off a lot more and you're seeing that shot that yeah. a lot of scouts were really high on and thought you know this guy's got an amazing shot where before he just have a little bit of Mason Raymond in him I felt like and he just kind of like you know bull his way to the net and then you know he'd be in too close and he'd try to like flick it over the goalie and it'd be pretty much a, a nothing play but now he's he's being yeah. a lot more confident you know letting his shot rip from the point you know what watching Vertanen before used to remind me of is watching kind of minor league hockey where they go, you you see this kid who's much faster than everybody else, goes head down, full head of steam into the offensive zone. He sees the, the circle and he just shoots and doesn't look where it's going, doesn't know where or how hard, anything, and he just slams it into the pads. And that's, it was so frustrating to watch somebody with that much speed that much size and not be able to put it together. And I think for a lot of Canucks fans, you just saw that and thought this guy's never going to figure it out. His hockey IQ isn't there, uh, but he's showing so much more patience this year. It's he's a totally different player this season. It's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. The patience I think is a, is actually you, you hit the nail on the head there. He's just more patient with the puck. He's taken a minute to actually think about what he's going to do as opposed to putting his head down and just shooting the puck or passing the puck or skating full steam ahead with his head down, not actually looking at how the play is developing in front of him. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks so much for coming on, uh, Doug. This has been an awesome conversation. I feel like, between you and Pete, I could have had this podcast go on for four or five hours and enjoyed every minute of it. Uh, definitely uh, recommend anybody that hasn't already listened to the Canuck Speak Easy podcast to look them up. They're on Twitter at Canuck Speak. Uh, you can find them as well, Doug Venn and Pete Gass on there. Uh, great content always from you guys. I know you guys had Jabo with Brendan on last episode. And by the time this airs, I'm sure you guys will have another uh, episode out uh, but follow them uh, give them a listen as well uh, thanks so much for coming on Doug and uh, as always appreciate uh, 
hearing your opinions on everything there. No worries, Sean. Thanks for having us on or having me on and having Pete on. And actually, just a quick uh, update: we won't be releasing an episode this week because that of jerk course, Pete yeah. is in Costa Rica. <laughs> um, but what a guy. I know, eh? Winter. The, the, what do we have? Snowmageddon, you know, in Vancouver, and Pete goes off to Costa Rica. Perfect timing, Pete. Uh, but no, all, yeah, all he, jokes aside, thank you so much for having us on, man. Oh no, it's been a pleasure, and uh, we'll have to we'll have to do it again sometime in the future. I know I enjoyed my time coming over and and hanging out with you guys last time there too. So uh, follow them, give them a shot there, and uh, you won't regret it at all. Thanks so much for coming on. Thank you. From Sean Warren and the Area Fifty One Hockey Podcast. Thank you for listening, and please like, share, and follow along as we continue to grow. Join in the conversation on social media. We also now have merchandise available on Big Head's media website. Search for Area 51 and grab some great merch. Thanks again, and stay tuned for next week's episode of the Area 51 Hockey Podcast. Cheers.